This is AudibleGate. An alliance of authors, narrators, and publishers to win justice against Audible. For years, this Amazon subsidiary, the world's largest audiobook retailer, has been ripping off audiobook creators. Finding all kinds of inventive ways not to pay us. And devastating culture as it goes. But not anymore. We're here to put a stop to Audible's fraud. And invite you to join us at audiblegate.com. May not we have a future of your company, your industry is? Uh, basically what's happening, our, our average customer listens to 19 books a year. We've taken the idea of a book and turned it into a service you use every day. And our, only four of 10 of our customers ever bought an audio book. So the whole concept is going away and basically storytelling is going to be everywhere in multimedia formats and there'll be a consumer who doesn't even think about the oral experience or the textual experience and they'll understand things and learn to read through a different kind of experience that's digital. It's, it's a big change and it's all coming up. In this episode, we are talking again with Catherine Goldman, Editor-in-Chief of the Creative Law Center. Today, we get into two topics that will dramatically impact indie authors and narrators. The acquisition of Findaway Voices by Spotify and the Metaverse. As you've just heard from Don Katz, founder of Audible, the future is going digital for audiobooks. Spotify, a major distributor of creative content, and Audible, a subsidiary of Amazon, are looking to exploit market share to reach more listeners. The metaverse is likely to be a new frontier for both companies to offer services in a new digital medium. We invite authors and narrators alike to find out what possibilities may await them in the near future and what dangers may be lurking in this new future of digital reality. Do you see common trends as far as difficulties that independent authors or narrators face in today's environment? Sure. I think that um, getting into the business is the most common problem I see with new authors, and I would suspect narrators as well, is the, the overwhelm of various options available and having to master all of the technical pieces that you need to master if you're going to do it all completely yourself, right? If you're going to enlist the help of other folks in your publishing journey, how do you vet them? How do you determine whether they are legitimate? You know, how do you find the professionals out there who are going to help you move your business forward and not take advantage of you? And so, when you're starting out, having to sort through all the options to determine what is going to be valuable to you is probably the biggest hurdle I see with new entrepreneurs. Where do you see the publishing industry going for indie authors and narrators? Are there any big changes that you see coming up or any trends that you think will continue into the future, which have been ongoing? A couple of things I think here. First of all, we have, you know, we've been talking about going wide, and I don't know if we've mentioned Find Away Voices yet. Find Away is the bedrock of going wide for audiobook. 
And so Findaway has recently been purchased by Spotify. So that was announced last fall. That acquisition was announced last fall. I don't know if it has if that deal has closed yet or not, but I will be interested to see what happens to the value of Findaway as a business partner for narrators and authors once it becomes part of Spotify. And, you know, Spotify has its issues. I'm specifically talking about the stingy amount that it pays to musicians. So it's not known for being particularly generous. So I will be interested to see what Spotify changes on Findaway Voices and whether any changes that it makes is going to impact a narrator's or author's ability to go wide in the audiobook marketplace. So that's one thing I want to keep an eye on. The other trend that I think we're going to be seeing is this Web3 metaverse discussion that is going on and the creation of NFTs. I think that there's a lot to be watchful for in this area once the wild, wild west aspect of this technology gets sorted out and people can trust that their intellectual property and their creative work is going to be legitimately monetized and people can trust that their investments are not going to be stolen. Once we get kind of a smooth runway in the metaverse or in Web3, I think there is a lot that's going to be happening there. I mean, I can envision, for example, you know, lots of narration products in Web3 that we haven't even thought of yet. So I think that there are going to be some exciting things coming down the pike. It may take three, five, seven years, but I think there's going to be a lot happening there. If I could revisit Spotify for just a moment, would you say the biggest disadvantage of Spotify is its pay scale that it has for artists? What I think the biggest disadvantage of Spotify buying Findaway Voices is now we have these two monster competitors in the marketplace. We have um, ACX and we have Spotify, and they control the universe between them. So the downside is how are they going to squeeze the creatives? So I I kind of liked Findaway being independent. I had a great deal of respect for that organization. And so I just don't want to see it change in a way that is going to squeeze the creatives. And mostly it's going to be squeezing them in the pocketbook. Yeah. And so the biggest draw of Spotify would be the distribution. Am I understanding that correctly? That would be the thing that would draw people to go through Spotify. You think if Spotify takes a controlling interest, tries to change the way Findaway Voices works, it'll still be a draw for indie authors and narrators because of the distribution that it could provide? Yeah, it's a huge marketplace. It's a huge marketplace. 
People are, you know, searching every day on Spotify for things to listen to, podcasts, music. I mean, they are, they want to own audio, right? And they are well on their way to doing it. So you think Spotify could be a serious competitor with uh, ACX possibly in the future if it starts offering audiobooks like Audible offers audiobooks. If and when that happens, they may take a controlling interest. It's like a dual monopoly system could develop. That's exactly what I'm envisioning, right? So right now, are, do you know what percent of the market ACX has right now? It seems to have a majority market share of audio and and written work as well. Well, yeah, um, I think they have a higher percentage of the ebook market than they do of the um, audiobook market. And I don't think it's a majority percentage, but I don't know what the number is. But that would be interesting to find out. I mean, for me, where we are right now. But I'll, I can tell you that many of my clients, they first of all, they make more revenue from audiobooks than they do from their ebooks. Okay. And these are clients who have, you know, 15, 20 books out there already, multiple series, et cetera. They're making more from audiobooks than they're making from ebooks. And not only that, only about a quarter of their audiobook revenue is coming from ACX. These are obviously they've gone wide and they've done it successfully and they've been doing it for years. So that also contributes to the fact that more of their income not coming from ACX. Well, I was thinking of market share, I guess, maybe a little bit differently. You brought up the revenue and I don't know the percentages, but it would be interesting to find out if Audible or ACX, Amazon, the uh, the revenue and the market share may be two different statistics. I, I would think that they would be. So, for example, if somebody is using Kobo and they're getting a higher revenue share from Kobo, Kobo may not have the same percentage of distribution as Audible, but the revenue could be higher because maybe they can set their own prices on Kobo, whereas they couldn't do that through Audible. Right. And so what it, you have to you have to do the math just to figure out, okay, so you get less distribution on Kobo, but you're getting a higher percentage. Okay. So where's the break-even point there, right? And where do you do better? So it's all about, you know, figuring out the math and that takes time and that takes effort, which is one reason I would suspect people don't go wide. It's a little bit more difficult to build that kind of a business. And it seems like with new authors, narrators, independent artists, they might look at a distribution center such as Amazon and think, oh, wow, I'm going to get my stuff out to you know so many people. But they don't think about the revenue because Audible doesn't advertise its revenue. It advertises its distribution. And I think a lot of people may not think about the, the trade-off. With greater distribution, you may be actually giving up revenue. Uh, yep, I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. And yeah, and, and that's just something that you have to think about when you're building your business. Could you talk a little bit more about NFTs? I know that's a new, like you said, it's kind of a Wild West sort of thing at the moment. Have you had any personal or professional interactions with people who want to use NFTs either for some kind of creative work, which may or may not include a book or an audiobook? book? Um, 
Yeah, I'm starting to think about that. I just put a blog post up, I guess, about 10 days ago on NFTs and publishing contracts. And I'm making the comparison to publishing contracts back in the day before ebooks were a thing and how publishing contracts did not contemplate ebooks. And so when ebooks came out, publishers didn't have the right to publish them. And so the question is whether publishing contracts have encompassed the right to publish NFTs or to mint NFTs of the books that they already have under contract. So an NFT, and I talk about you know what they are and how they're created, and there's a lot of terminology involved in this new technology. But an NFT is a, a non-fungible token. And so the question is, have people who have signed publishing contracts already given up their rights to their NFTs? How would somebody use an NFT in, in a creative work? I'm obviously thinking about books and audiobooks, but if you have a different example that you can better explain, I think this NFT thing is only going to get bigger and bigger. So I think it's important to discuss how would somebody use it? What would be the advantage or disadvantage? What benefit? Why would somebody want to use this? What are some of the things to watch out for? Okay, let's start with what is an NFT? NFT stands for non-fungible digital token. A digital token is a unit of encrypted information that provides evidence of ownership of a digital file. It's like a receipt for a unique digital artifact. Its uniqueness is what makes it non-fungible. So there's nothing else like it. So money is fungible. A dollar is fungible. The dollar in my pocket is the same as the dollar in your pocket. It buys the same thing. It, they are interchangeable. That's what fungible is. Non-fungible means something is unique. It's not interchangeable, in other words. It's not interchangeable. It's unique. So think of you know Van Gogh's Starry Night is non-fungible. There's only one. So the... NFT, an NFT is created, and the, the term is actually minted, on a blockchain using a smart contract. So blockchain is what is the underlying technology for Bitcoin, and people are familiar with Bitcoin. So a smart contract is nothing more than a computer program. It's just a computer program, if then else, standard computer program that stores the rules and it verifies the rules that it stores and it self-executes, okay? So when a smart contract is used to create an NFT, the computer code references the unique digital file. All right, so let's talk about that unique digital file. The digital file contains the creative work, like a JPEG. All right, so any image JPEG, a PDF, so a written work, a book in a PDF, or an MP4 file, or an audio file, any digital file that holds the creative work, the smart contract that is the basis of the NFT references that 
digital file. So now let's jump back to the blockchain. So the blockchain is a public transaction ledger that shows ownership. So it's like a checkbook register, I guess. It's like a spreadsheet. It's a ledger and it can't be changed. It can only be added to. All right. So it can't be changed. The way I like to think of it is like chain of title of land ownership in government records. That's the analogy. In Baltimore, Maryland, where I'm from, for instance, land ownership can be traced back to 1632, back when the King of England granted a charter, a land charter to the first Lord Baltimore, giving him ownership rights of all the land east of the Potomac River. Every real property transaction traces back to that grant. So on a blockchain, the ownership of an NFT can be traced back to its creation on the blockchain. So the information that is stored includes the creator's identity, uh, the current and past owner identity, the information relating to the digital file's authenticity, and the requirements or rules for selling that NFT, that digital file. So this is where we get, this is where it gets interesting as far as I'm concerned with respect to what creatives can do with NFTs. You can create an NFT with your creative work, whether it's an audio file, visual file, a PDF, and you can say that if this piece of creative work is resold, and the value appreciates, then a percentage, say 10, 15, 20% of the appreciated value must be paid back to the original creator. Now think about what that would mean, or the creator's heirs. Think about what that would mean in the event, in the case of uh, Van Gogh's Starry Night. It's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And at each sale, the appreciated, a percentage of the appreciated value would have to go back to the creator or his heirs. And that is something that the art world has been thinking about for many, many years and has developed paper contracts to address that. But now it's automatic with an NFT. Now you don't have to go chasing down your share of the appreciated value. Now, when the NFT is sold on the blockchain, 10% automatically goes back to the creator. It appears in your wallet. So that right there is what is so interesting to me for creatives. Writers could have first editions of the first digital editions. And as they appreciate, they would get a percentage. And it would be the same with audio files and the same with visual art. I mean, it's going on now with those bored apes, right? They're going for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that's how I see that's the gem of the technology. A lot of people's creative rights are being infringed. That has to be sorted out. But I believe it will be sorted out. Somebody writes a book send it to somebody else so that they can look at it or edit it, or they send it to a publishing house. And then 
there's a chance that the publishing house or whoever they sent it to could say, oh, this is ours. We we got this from an in-house author or something. It seems like NFTs could could prevent all that from happening since the person put their work into the blockchain using an NFT. And I don't know exactly how that process works of putting a creative work into an NFT. From that place forward, they could demonstrate with that proof of work, they were the original creator of that work, whether it's a book, a picture, an art painting, whatever it is. They, yes, it could. It would trace the origin all the way back to the time it was minted on the blockchain. Not everything's going to be on the blockchain, though, right? So it would definitely be evidence of original ownership. I have to think more about that. That's a very interesting concept. It, as you're as you just you know put it out there in terms of oh no I created this you didn't that would be very interesting to see how that would work as an evidentiary matter and then I guess the other issue too is using it for ownership to for revenue so that you can get a person who created it could get paid those may or may not be the same issues though how I described it and using it to get payment for the original work being done when it's sold or how many times it's sold. And I was thinking as you were describing that, it sounds like the examples that you used was for a one-time sale. I don't, I don't know enough about NFTs if people could write residuals into an NFT contract so that if somebody acquired it, they would need to give 20% for five years or if they sold it again, whoever they sold it to, would be required to give a certain percentage for a number of years or or if it's just a one-off kind of a thing. I, I don't know enough about it to see if that would be a possibility. I know a lot of people, I'm thinking of actors, for example, like to get a percentage share of movie revenue. They, you know, they get a percentage of however much the movie makes in addition to their however much they may be paid for it. I don't know if NFTs could be structured in a similar way or if it's just only valid for one-off payments. So I think the key here is that, you know, you can write the contract to say whatever you wanted to say. In the example that I was using, I was envisioning a forever payment, right? Every time the NFT is sold, if there's an appreciated value, then the creator gets a percentage every time it's sold, not just one off. But it could also be, you know, one off. It's a contract. You can put whatever terms in it you want. You can you could make it so that the first time it's sold, the percentage of appreciated value goes to a charity. You could say, you know, you could do whatever you want with that. It's going to be limited only by our imaginations and then ultimately by industry practices and then by the platforms like OpenSea that are designed to allow people to mint their own NFTs and what options are going to be given to those creators. So like any platform, the creators are going to say, oh, it'd be really nice if we had this option. And then the platform will decide whether they want to provide that as an option. Like adding features to anything, like when Facebook is rolling out their reels or you know, it's like adding a feature to any platform. We as the users are going to be limited by the features that are offered by the platform. 
So it may relate, and you can correct me if I'm not understanding this correctly. I'm thinking of a land lease. Somebody leases an oil company, leases a farmer's land because oil is found on their land. They do a 50-year lease or 100-year lease. I've read some articles also about the metaverse where people buy virtual property. And I think there's somehow NFTs are involved in that. I was just thinking from an author's perspective to use an NFT to give a publishing company a 10-year lease on a on a written work, if that would be possible. And then they get a certain percentage, like an oil company pays the farmer. I don't know. I'm just going to throw a number out there. $100,000 a year for 10 years to lease their property or 50 years to lease their property. If if a book could be, an NFT could be set up for a book, any other product or service in a similar way. I think that the benefits could be constructed that way or the, the rights could be licensed that way with limitations on the NFT. One of the problems under that scenario would be though, because there's a hard stop or a hard end date that on the life of the NFT, that it wouldn't appreciate. That's a problem with a lease too. If you only have the right to buy and sell the NFT for 10 years, that it's not like a piece of art that lives on in perpetuity that can appreciate over time forever and ever, that there's this end date. So it would that would depress the value of it. And there maybe there's workarounds or a new way of doing it will be invented or created using NFTs compared to the tangible land example that I, that I was thinking oh, of. Absolutely. It's unlimited. I mean, they're, they're already buying and selling real estate in the metaverse, right? They're going to be spaces that are going to be built in the metaverse and people are going to hang their NFTs, their visual NFTs on the walls, and they're going to have their literary NFTs on, on virtual bookshelves. And they're going to have audio uh, piped in to their space, their audio NFTs. And yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely going to, that's how I envision it. I'm been, but here's the deal, <laughs> William. I am a huge Ready Player One fan. That's why I have this vision. Now, whether it's going to happen that way, I can't imagine it's going to happen exactly that way, but people are moving in that direction. The video game industry is has already created these virtual spaces where people are interacting and people are buying digital artifacts in these virtual spaces already. Okay. And so I, you know, I think it's absolutely coming. I think though that it's going to be a while before we work out the kinks. So people could have uh, buy a virtual library or set up a virtual library or bookstore in the metaverse their audiobook or their book is only available in that virtual library or that virtual bookstore set up by an NFT. Absolutely. And then, you know, you can, and then you're going to have your secondhand NFTs, right? And you're going to go to secondhand uh, virtual bookstore and buy an NFT that, you know, maybe doesn't have that huge appreciated value, but you're going to get to bring it home to your space in the metaverse. Yeah. I see it as being a lot of fun and very creative, but I know that for every positive, there is a negative out there. And I think that the underbelly is going to show itself uh, relatively quickly if it hasn't already. And we need to 
deal with that before we start jumping in there as creatives and putting our stuff in there. It, it does seem if corporations can see a way to make a profit off from as they already do in the the tangible world, they could also try to get monopolies in the metaverse as well using similar tactics, which of course we see the advantages and disadvantages of that now with, uh, for example, Audiblegate, something similar could happen in the metaverse where the corporations are doing that again, taking taking control of creative works just as they have in the real world. Absolutely agree with you. That is going to happen. The, the folks who are in control in the real world, in the analog world, they're going to be in control in the metaverse. The, the notion that there's going to be some kind of democratization of the metaverse, I think that that's rose-colored glasses. I think the wealthy are going to stay the wealthy. They're going to stay in control. And they're going to be the rest of us who are just going to be able to go in and play in their playground for a little while. What advice would you give new authors and narrators getting into it for the first time? So my advice, obviously, coming from an intellectual property attorney, is to learn about, understand your creative rights so that you can control them and not give them up unnecessarily so that you can build your best business. So understand your rights, learn them, understand them, figure out how they work, how to license them and how to generate revenue from them. How do people get a hold of you for your professional services? Or if they have questions, they want to find out more about the services you offer, where's the best place to go for uh, anyone who would like to contact you? You can find me in two places. You can find me at creativelawcenter.com, which is the membership site that we've spoken about, and it's where I blog. And you can also find me on my law firm website, which is charmcitylegal.com. And Charm City is Baltimore's nickname. So charmcitylegal.com has been the home of my law firm website for almost 25 years now. And that's where you can find me. You can send me an email, Catherine at creativelawcenter.com or kgoldman at charmcitylegal.com, or you can pick up the phone and call me at 410-783-7575. Thanks to Tantrika Sound for providing the audio quotes used in the podcast, and also to Orquesta Tipica Fernandez Fierro for the music. This is Audiblegate. Thanks to Tantrika Sound for providing the audio quotes used in the podcast. And also to Orquesta Tipica Fernandez Fierro for the music. This is Audiblegate.